Open up our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Let's stand together. And youth, you're with us again this week for a few more weeks. And the reason why, as I've mentioned before, we want the youth in here is because um, Solomon's speaking to, to um, he says, my son, my son, my son, over and over again. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the, the table out in the foyer there. Uh, if you, and if you don't have one at all, it, it, you know, like not even at home or whatever, consider that our gift. But we don't want anyone to not have a Bible to look through because um, you'll need it. Um, we're going to be going through a lot of, of, of scripture like we normally do. Proverbs chapter 3, and let's begin in verse 21. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble when the wicked, from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause, if he has done you no harm. Do not envy the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Chapter 4. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they have someone fall. They make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is like the shining sun, that shines even brighter until the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, 
and, and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. You've already begun to work because of just the reading of your word by your Holy Spirit. You've already started. And I just pray, Lord, that that would continue and you would help us to learn everything you want us to learn. Thank you for the preeminence of your word. We're so grateful it'll outlive the heavens and the earth, you said, Jesus. And we want your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. We want you to use these verses to make us into disciples, Lord, that are pleasing to you in everything that we say, everything that we do, all of our motivation, all the things you want us to do that you have set up in advance that we should walk in, Lord. We want all those things. So use your word. We thank you that it is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We've been studying this book verse by verse for a few weeks now. Been totally blessed by it. I know I have. Um, totally blessed by it. It's a book full of wisdom. That's really the subject matter. And we're going to see wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Those three emphasized over and over in Scripture in this chapter. And as we've covered, wisdom is entirely distinct from knowledge. Knowledge is information. And knowledge is something that he talks about here. But knowledge is also limited in that it doesn't tell you in and of itself how to apply it. So wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. You can know that a little black animal with a white stripe down its back uh, has the ability to blast you <laughs> with um, talking about um, a skunk, Pepe Le Pew, back from my day. Uh, Hanna-Barbera, no, it was, it, was, uh, it was Looney Tunes, I think. But anyway, let's move on. But, you, but with knowledge is knowing that's dangerous, right? But wisdom is not getting anywhere near it and not going and trying to pet it. I mean, that's wisdom. There's a lot of things that we can know in life, but if we don't apply wisdom related to those things, then it doesn't do us any good. And what's interesting, especially when you look at the book of Proverbs and in, through the scriptures in general, you see that knowledge has to do with information about something or someone. Wisdom is actually how to interact with it or them, if it's a person. And there's a lot in Proverbs, especially related to that, that has to do with cause and effect. That if we do this, then this happens. You know, when you're training your children when they're little, you say, if you put your hand on the stove when it's hot, you're going to get burned. A cause and effect Relationship, And as we've seen so far going through these chapters and we'll continue to see it, there's a lot of cause and effect that God wants us to interact with something or a person or someone wisely. And if we do so, we'll benefit from it. There's usually kind of a reciprocating effect where it affects us positively if we deal with it or interact with it correctly. But if we don't, then we will benefit. We won't benefit and the things that we don't want to happen will happen to us. And so the Proverbs reveals basically our actions and, and reveals kind of how they define us. You know, our actions flow from our heart and flow from our minds and our will and all of those things. And that leads, that's kind of the initial 
catalyst for our actions. And but God measures a lot of who we are by our actions. He already says that we're heart, our hearts are desperately wicked. <laughs> and who can know our, our hearts, you know, the scripture says. But our actions is what, how we measure so much of, of, of who we are. And I think of all the people in the book of Proverbs alone, and we're going to see it a little bit to this morning, that God says are fools. God has complete freedom and takes the total license, so to speak, to call someone a fool or call somebody the upright. He gets to define that. That's not something he wants us to go around necessarily and doing a lot uh, of, but he gets to define what a fool is. I remember I told you, I believe it was the last time that we studied in the book of Proverbs, that a fool is, it can be a genius. You can have a fool be somebody that knows a lot, has a high IQ, but they're a fool because they don't do the right thing. And, and it makes them even more guilty because they should know better, but they don't. And how many people in the book of Proverbs who God calls a fool would ever think in a million years that they're a fool? Probably not a lot. So you don't have to agree with God to be the thing that he says you are. But it doesn't change the fact that you are that. And so you can be a billionaire. You can be totally successful in life as the world defines success. You can have all the money in the world, all the influence and all of that. And God says, you're a fool. Because you're not living according to what he says we should live. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the abundant life. That's the prosperous life. That's the life that he defines as the life that's worth living. And so that's why we all need God's word so badly and to feed on God's word because we need to find out what he says should be going on in our lives so we know how we should live. As I said before, Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs. We only have a few handful. Try to write one proverb. Try to write one thing that someone would go, ooh, I got to write that down. That doesn't happen a lot. But, it, but, it, but it, you know, that's the kind of wisdom that's, that God gave Solomon. And he wrote a lot of these proverbs that we're going to read in the beginning, mostly all of them, towards the beginning or the middle of his life. Later on, and you can read Ecclesiastes, and you can see the effect of not obeying wisdom. He actually disobeyed the very things that God used him to write down, and he paid a great, great price for it. At the end of his life, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a lot of lost arguments. <laughs> uh, that's a lot. And that was prescribed in scripture to not do, to multiply wise and other things that the kings weren't to do. But he wrote four proverbs, and we'll read them as we go through, about the contentious woman. To better to live on the corner of a house than to live with a contentious woman. And he wrote four different times. So he has some experience related to uh, what works with relationships and what doesn't. He also wrote in chapter 15 that a soft answer turns away wrath. So he knows a lot about those things. But again, at the end of his life, he completely ignored a lot of this wisdom that, that God used him to, to, uh, to bless us with. And so it just shows you, it doesn't matter how wise you are and what you know, if you don't obey those things, then you're going to be the fool that God describes in the book of Proverbs. Someone that doesn't do the things that they know that they should do. So this went against a lot of what he wrote, how he 
kind of lived and with the things that he said at the end were just vanity and life is just vanity and, and all these things this, because he tried all these different things to, to live a life of fulfillment but, but he couldn't because or he didn't because of, of the things he chose to do and not do. So now as we begin in verse 21 there of chapter 3 we're told again he just got done speaking as we saw last time in in chapter 19 or verses 19 and 20 all about wisdom knowledge and understanding and he says in verse 21 my son and he starts with that and it literally in the hebrew is oh my son and you think of if you have children that you care about and you love and you desperately want them to learn from your mistakes and learn from you instead of having to learn things the hard way there's that passion there's that deep desire for them to do the right thing that's why the youth are in here in part because again you need to see what god's word says and it's speaking to sons it's speaking to young people here and he says oh my son let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. So he says to keep. Do my voice just squeak? I'm not going through puberty. Uh, I already have gone through it, but I don't know if it did or not. But he says there in verse 21, the middle of verse 21, keep sound wisdom. That's just not merely knowing it but it's keeping it it's obeying the wisdom that you know and he says it'll bring life to your soul and grace to your neck don't we want that don't we want life to our souls our mind will and emotions we want grace hung around our neck like a beautiful prize and ornament and and recognition of God's favor on our lives even though we don't deserve it of course we do and then he says you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble What a beautiful picture when you're going on a path and you're wanting to get somewhere and it's important. You don't want to be tripping and falling. You want to have a clear path. He says, that's what your life will look like. The path that you're traveling on as I direct you, as I I sovereignly direct your life, your your path's going to be clear and you're not going to stumble. And then he adds another benefit in verse 24. He says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. I want to just stop there for a second. How many in this world go to bed afraid? A lot. Maybe some, of you, maybe some of us here, we go to bed afraid. And some of those things are out of our control. It has nothing to do with us utilizing wisdom or being a good manager of wisdom that God's given us. It's just, that's just life that we're dealing with. There's other things that are happening beyond out of our control. And, and it's an emotion. Fear is just an emotion. And God says, okay, you're fearful, but I want to give you peace and I want to I want you to trust me. And that's what he says for us to do. But he says, if you abide by these things that he's saying, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, a lot of those things that we could be fearful over, we won't have those things in our lives because we've been walking that wise way and our path has been clear. We're not stumbling. And as a result of that, we don't have a lot of these things in our lives that we have to think about when we lie down and we don't we're not even tempted to be afraid but then he adds to it in verse 24 he continues he says yes you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet when you have sweet sleep there's nothing like it where you wake up and it you just were at total peace the whole entire night and you wake up you went to bed with his peace maybe you woke up and had to use the restroom or whatever he had his peace you went back to bed or whatever I guess I'm getting a little older so you know I, I'm thinking of those things a little bit but uh, but then you wake up and you wake up with that sweet peace that you had when you went to sleep that's what he wants for us 
The abundant life of living according to his wisdom and his knowledge, his understanding, and you're obeying the things that he wants you to do leads to sweet sleep. It leads to lying down at night and not being afraid as much as we ordinarily would. But then he talks about something even greater in verse 25. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. So he, talk, he says, don't be afraid of sudden terror. Don't be afraid of that, nor of, of trouble when the wicked people, when they come. And notice it says when it comes at the end of verse 25. Nor of trouble when the wick, from the wicked when it comes. Not if, but when. You know, Jesus was honest with us and he said, in this life you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's a little promise we don't put in those little promise card decks and put on tables, you know, where we grab a promise every day and read. But that's a promise. And that you're not doing anyone any favors as you lead them to Christ and you're discipling them and telling them that everything's just going to go great now that you've received Christ. In fact, things are going to get more difficult because not only are you having to to deal with everything that everybody else goes through in life in, in many ways, but now you have an enemy of your soul that's fighting against you even more because now you know Christ and now you're a threat to his kingdom. Now, the word, he, the word in Hebrew is actually stronger. It says, because it will come. It says, nor of trouble from the wicked, because it will come. It's stronger than that. It's going to happen. But we will be spared a lot from things if we practice this wisdom and this knowledge and this understanding. It's because some of it is self-inflicted. But again, some of it isn't. And he's going to help us in those times. And, and he was honest with us related to that even in the end in in times when he talked about in in the all of it discourse and he's talking about the the tribulation and he he says to those disciples at that time he says but before all these things happen they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony so he says they're going to do all that to you you know, for those people that will be around at that time. He says, but I haven't forgotten you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not leaving them. So God hasn't promised to deliver us out of every trial, but he's promised to deliver us through every trial and, and help us as we go through things and use those things for our good because we've submitted our lives to him, as Romans 8.28 uh, talks about. Now notice God's promise to protect us in verse 26. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So he'll keep our feet from being caught and he'll be our confidence. That's what we need. In the time of trouble, in the time of sudden terror, the time where there's something happens that's beyond our capacity to deal with, we need to know and have our confidence in the Lord that he sees it, he's with us, this didn't take him by surprise, he's greater than all of it, he can intervene at any moment, and he can give us the words to say, he can give us the, the, the wisdom in that moment to how to evade the situation or a, a word to speak to the person. He can do so much, and, he, and that's, that's what he's talking about when he says God will be our confidence because he's a sovereign, holy, all-powerful God, and he'll keep our feet from being caught now he gets to wisdom in regards to other people look with me at verse 27 do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so do not say to your neighbor go and come back and tomorrow i will give it when you have it with you when you owe someone something and this speaks of 
business owners. It's, it also speaks of just all of us. Where Let's say we've borrowed money from someone or we've promised to help them in the future. And we're, Jesus is wanting our yes to be yes and we're going to follow through. We're in a situation where that person's there. We have the capacity to follow through with what we said, but we don't do it. So he says, don't do that. God's watching that. He sees every transaction. God sees every time someone gets underpaid. He, he sees every time that someone gets put off when they need these, these wages to survive and someone doesn't pay him. He sees all of that injustice and he hates all of it. And it should never be found in the heart or in the life of a child of God. We need to do the right thing and not say come back tomorrow when we have the capacity to do it. Then he continues, verse 29. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. So our neighbors, especially in this day, I mean, groups and people together were there to protect each other. They were there in a way where they fortified one another and could call on each other for help and all of that. And he's saying, especially in the light that they've come by you and to live by you for your protection and you're getting protection from them, don't, don't plan these evil things against them and try to take it advantage of them. So we shouldn't as well. We should treat our neighbors wonderfully. They sh- we should be a testimony to them of love and grace and all the things that God can use to bring them into a relationship with Christ. Then verse 30 says, Do not strive with man without cause. If he has done you no harm, do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. We shouldn't be envying, period. But especially those that get great wealth because they're taking advantage of people. We shouldn't look at them and say, I want to have all the things that they have. You know, even in light of the fact that they're taking advantage of people, we shouldn't envy those people. We shouldn't envy people that are oppressing other people. And you say, well, you know, I don't think I would ever do that. You never know what you might do. We never know what we might do in certain situations. So he says, don't, don't even be tempted. Tuck this away in your heart and know that this will be maybe a temptation for you. Don't envy people that are oppressing other people and choose. Notice it says choose. There's a choice there. It's volitional. And choose none of his ways. Not just the part that he's taking advantage of people, but all the other things they do that aren't godly. Choose none of those things. And then God really reveals his heart towards this type of heart. Verse 32. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. I just love the clarity of God's word. I, you know, he hates perversity. It's an abomination to him. And like I said last time, the church is allowing and compromising so much. It's allowing the world to affect their standards of holiness to where things that we are doing now and think it's not a big deal and we seek other Christians be, you know, partaking in, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, we'd never dream about being a part of those things. But now we're allowing the culture and other believers to be the standard of holiness instead of God's word alone. And we have to be careful related to that. But he promises, notice, secret counsel in verse 32. Secret counsel, counsel that no one else gets. It's not just related to what Christians can get in general. It's related to our own personal lives and the specific counsel that we need. You know, there's general revelation that speaks of God's creation by, the, by, what, by everything that's been made. And then there's special revelation, which is God's word. And then there's specific revelation, which is what God speaks to my heart, specifically for my situation. He's saying, if you're a perverse person, 
your, his secret counsel, his direct specific leading is not going to be available to you as it would if you were the upright. And he says the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. doesn't look like it. There's a lot, of, a lot of people with great houses, a lot of people with great lives, great cars, great influence. They have great posts on Instagram and Facebook. And it looks like they're having a great time and they have no cares in the world. This is what stumbled David until he went into the house of the Lord. He said, I, I, I almost stumbled because of the prosperity of the wicked until I came into your house. Why? Because when we come into his, his house, we see, the, we, we understand the standard and the wickedness and the holiness, uh, the wickedness of, of those people and, and what it means to God and how their end is what their end will be. And we get an eternal perspective instead of a temporal one. God's always working to increase our eternal perspective, to be living life and filtering everything that we receive through the filter of God's word and his perspective. And that keeps us centered and balanced and it keeps us grounded. And that's why when we go a long time without feasting upon God's word on a daily basis, to say nothing of going a long time without studying it together in a church or among other believers, we can start believing a lot of lies we can start believing a lot of things that just seem so true. And so many people are agreeing with this thing. And we can start compromising in our minds and thinking, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we're missing something with the Bible. Maybe there's more revelation. Maybe there's another way to live. And we, we, we are susceptible to the enemy's attacks and his darts that he's, that he's shooting at us. But we have to have his, his blessing upon our lives because he says he blesses the home of the just. He blesses the home. There's, a, there's so many things, Christian, that you receive the blessing of that you don't even realize they're from the Lord because you're following him and, he, and, and you're his disciple. There's things he's providing. You don't see his angels that are protecting you. You don't see what he's sparing you from on a daily basis. We don't see any of that. But he says right here, he blesses the home of the just. And it should cause in us a desire to have an increasing level of holiness. Even though our positional standing with God is perfect and flawless, our practical holiness in terms of how we live, he's never going to stop working until those things continue to grow. And we can't get all content and say, well, you know, I'm kind of happy with my level of holiness. He doesn't leave it up to us. Because if you're taking up your cross daily 